Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and I'm in the studio of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse with Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan. Good to be here this evening. Yes, I'm excited about this new series of episodes we're going to be starting this evening on the topic of cults and new religions. And Pastor and I are sitting across the desk from each other, and between us, we have a telephone. And we would love for you to join in on the conversation tonight. Maybe it's a question that you have about cults or new religions, or maybe it's a question that someone recently asked you or something from the Bible that has been bothering you. And you would like to call and ask Pastor Murphy his input from the Bible. He is here to answer your questions from a biblical perspective. Cults. Cults have caused people to commit mass suicide, burn down properties, or submit to abusive practices. But not all cults have led to this drastic, physically damaging behavior. However, all cults have done something much worse. Worse, you say? Yes. All cults have perverted truth, misled people, and damned souls to hell, results that will last for all eternity. Pastor, as we start this new series on the topic of cults, let's begin by defining what a cult is. If you read the books and cult, which are generally written by either by Walter Martin, uh, who is a standard um, person who wrote the book that is currently used in most colleges, and of course there's Bob Larson, and there's some others, but if you check the definitions, uh, you'll find that they're variant definitions, and sometimes they're very divergent in, in what they say as a cult. Uh, Walter Martin, for example, defines cult using three different categories. He says uh, it's any religious groups uh, which differ significantly in some or more respects as to a belief or practice from those religious groups which are regarded as normative expressions of religion in our total culture. And basically what that really means is that if there's a major religion that dominates a culture, if you deviate from that particular religion, um, that's perceived as a cult. But that's rather broad. He also uh, narrows it down a little bit more by saying there's a group of people gathered around a specific person or a specific misinterpretation of the Bible. I think that's more in line with how we would conceive of a cult because there's always some uh, deviant, interpretation that goes contrary to orthodox Christianity. And then the third thing that he said is a major deviation from uh, Christian orthodoxy, 
relative to the carnal doctrines held by the Christian Church. I think that that in itself um, encapsulates what we perceive to be a cult. A cult basically is a group that deviates from major Christian tenets, especially what we call the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Um, Larson, uh, Bob Larson, calls, uh, defines it as practices of beliefs that significantly depart from historic Christianity. And Josh McDowell also wrote a book, and he defines it as a perversion or distortion of biblical Christianity in its rejection of the historical teachings of the Christian church. So you see that basically it's a major deviation from orthodox Christian doctrines. That would probably be the, the best definition in my judgment. Are there cults of Islam and cults of other religions? Every religion has uh, a cult group. Uh, so it's not just r- related to Christianity. You'll find that there are cultic groups in Islam, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism. And these are um, break off from the major traditional view of these major religions. So cults are not restricted basically to um, Christian religion. Is it a recent phenomenon? No. Uh, the church has had to deal with cults for, for centuries. This is nothing new. Um, if I might just mention one or two, but in the early church, you take the second century, uh, there was a problem with what you call the Ebionites. Uh, this was a Judaistic sect. Uh, they denied the reality of the divine nature of Christ. They rejected the fact that he was virgin-born, claiming that he was the natural father, natural son of Mary and Joseph. And uh, I believe he said that the, the divine power came upon Christ, came upon Jesus when he was baptized. And so what made Jesus unique was not that he was divine and eternal, but uh, what made him unique is that the Holy Spirit came upon him, and that gave him his, his divinity. And because he had the Holy Spirit, um, he lived a more holy life, he was endowed with certain gifts, and he had an immeasurable fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's what made him unique. But so it, they it, would say there was no divinity until no divinity. he was baptized. Yeah, yeah correct. That, that, again, that was in the second century. Hmm. We're here in the 21st century, and we still got groups who hold to those kind of positions. And then Serentius came around, and um, he is the guy that uh, virtually said that, again, the Spirit, uh, the Christ, came upon Christ uh, Jesus when he was being baptized. Uh, and so what distinguished Jesus was the fact that he was he had more justice and prudence and wisdom and superiority, but again, he was not an eternal, divine son of God, quite similar to the Ebionites, that the Christ came upon Jesus, so the divine person came upon Jesus. That's another uh, cult that the church had to deal with in the early centuries. And then Arius came around, and uh, he, he taught, he was a presbyter of Alexandria, and uh, he taught that Jesus Christ was inferior to the Father, that he was subordinate to the Father, and that the Father was greater than he was. Uh, so Jesus Christ was the first created being, and then God used Jesus Christ to create all other beings. So Jesus Christ was not an eternal Son of God. Uh, he he's actually the first created being of God. Sounds similar to what we're going to be discussing later. Yeah, the, the, that, this is similar to the JW. Uh, mm. They're really the modern age Arians. Mm. Uh, there's no difference between what the Jehovah's Witnesses taught teach today and what uh, Arius thought uh, way back there. And then, of course, the Gnostics came along, and they say that uh, Jesus was not a real person. 
he was just uh, um, a shadow, a phantom, basically. So what the disciples saw was not a real human Jesus. Uh, it was just an imaginary phantom Jesus. Uh, the church had to deal with that as well. John deals with that when he talks about any man that confessed not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Uh, he's Antichrist. Again, John is dealing with that particular type uh, of doctrine. And then um, there's the Apollinarians and the Nestorians, and this has to do with the matter of the nature of Christ. Uh, one would say he was God, but he was not man. The other one would say that he was man and not God. And then they had the problem of the two natures, uh, where there was a dispute, and the natures of Christ was blended together, so it's a third nature. The church had to refute that as well, to prove that Jesus was both God and man at the same time. He was a God-man. So these are not new. Um, they're just, uh, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, basically. We're just regurgitating old concepts that were there from the 1st and 2nd century, 3rd and 4th century. So a lot of what we perceive as cults today, they're not really saying anything new. The church has had to deal with these issues before. So we've got the church history and the church fathers to assist us in dealing with a lot of these matters that we face today. So if it's been something that the church has been facing and these these great names, uh, the church fathers that we are familiar with, were facing with it, how did they handle the cults? How did they counteract them? And should we use that same rationale? Well, there's only one method to deal with the cults, and that is the proper interpretation of Scripture, not using the allegorical method or some other um, clever way of interpreting, but using the grammatical method, uh, uh, the literal grammatical method, looking at the Scriptures, looking at the meaning of words, tracing the etymology of the word, trying to understand the context of the passage. That's how they dealt with it. That's how we need to deal with it. There's only one way to, to deal with falsehood or to error. That's truth. And this propositional truth in the Bible. The biggest problem you'll find that when it comes to the cults, and all of them, I would say, that were started by people, um, every one of them, without exception, were men who were not proficient in the Greek language or the Hebrew language, had no theological background. They started as lay people who came up with a theory that they, they, they held to, but they didn't have the background where they can do the research to look at the grammar of the Greek language or the Hebrew, or the Hebrew language, or they had no idea of the study of words, etc., etc. Um, and this is where a lot of the errors have crept in. And of course, having established a religion today, um, what becomes very difficult now is for people to change their minds because uh, when they now begin to, uh, to translate their own Bible, they spin the meaning of the Bible according to what their founder believed, and there's no real grammatical basis for it, there's no real uh, lexical basis for it. But the problem is that the layman in the church, he has not got a clue how this thing has been twisting, twisted out of place. So he goes along with it, accepting that what they've been, what they produce um, is something that is authentic and real and can be verified by Greek or Hebrew scholars. And that is one of the great tra- tragedies today. Now, you mentioned that there's one way to deal with falsehood, and that's with truth. Now, I want to share this quote that I came across as I was studying and get your thoughts on it. And this author stated, when does a close-knit community begin become a cult? Where do you draw the line? And the response was, are you told that you have the only truth? You're a cult. Are you taught that you are ultimately sinful and broken and need saving and the only person in community can save you? You're in a cult. 
with that being stated, and I'm not taking that out of context, mm-hmm. is Christianity not a cult then? Because we say that man is sinful and lost. Yeah, but Christianity is made, made up of so many different denominations. I mean, we as Baptists, for example, we don't claim that we're the exclusive uh, possession of truth. We believe there are other churches in Antigua that hold to the truth. Then, no, we do believe that there are other churches that deviate in areas. For example, take the area of eschatology. Mm-hmm. We are premillennials. The groups who are post are millennials. They haven't gone away from the major tenets of Christianity, the, 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 the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, uh, the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ, uh, creation, um, the, um, those are some of the core doctrines. So um, Christianity would say it's the only true religion, but we would not say uh, in terms of within the Christian faith there are denominations that hold the de- de- variant v- views. Uh, but the core thing about Christianity is there are certain fundamental beliefs that you must have to be a Christian. Islam would claim as well that it has exclusive domain on truth. Judaism. Uh, ju- Judaism. Everybody yeah. claims that. The question is basically, you know, who holds the truth? And uh, as far as I'm concerned, as far as Christians are concerned, the Bible is the source of, of truth. And any deviation from Scripture uh, is going into error. So we believe that our faith is based on the propositional truth of God's Word, and that comes down to the matter of why we believe the Bible is God's Word, and we can give you some very solid reasons for that. But uh, Christianity, all, all major religions are exclusive in terms of the claims that they have the truth. The battle is whose truth is real truth, and that's been the battle that's been going on and will go on for ages. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? You're listening to That's Truth, and he's here to answer your questions. The phone number to call and ask the question would be one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. Again, if you would like to call and ask your question on the air, the number is one two six eight four six two seven four two zero. If you are joining us on Facebook Live, thank you. And we are glad to have you joining us. You can just put your question as a comment, and it will get passed along to Pastor Murphy, and he will answer it. If you would like to WhatsApp or text your question to Pastor Murphy, you can do that to 268-782-1454. Again, WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. So we talked about what a cult is and that it's not a new phenomenon. Pastor, are there particular characteristics that, I know every religion or cult is slightly different, but are there characteristics of cults as a whole? Generally speaking, um, there are factors that help one to identify whether the group is cultic or not. And uh, I'd just like to share some of those with the audience, Uh, not in any particular order, uh, but these are significant distinctive traits of, of the cults. One is that, um, and this is, 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 is um, vital, is that they always seem to have some extra biblical source of authority. They have some sacred writings um, that they claim supersedes the Bible. Uh, this is true of the Mormons. 
uh, who have the Book of Mormon, who have the Doctrines and Covenants, and who have the Pearls of Great Price. It's also true of the Unification Church with Reverend Moon. Uh, it is claimed that his divine principles supersede what Christ uh, gave, and the fact is that he came to complete what Christ left uncompleted. Uh, cults always have some extra biblical source of authority that they, they look to. I think that's one of the distinction, distinguishing marks of them. If you check Christian science, um, there are, are writings. If you check the SDA, the LNG White Writings, um, every major cult basically has some distinctive uh, writings or books or sources of information that uh, they either put on par with the Bible or use in parallel with the Bible, but uh, they go outside Scripture uh, to support the doctrine. How do you respond to that scripturally, though, if you're talking to a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness who is citing these extra-biblical extra sources? The problem of dealing with a cult, you've got to agree on a common source that is accepted by both. If, if the cult person is willing to accept the Bible as the basis for debate or discussion, you can start a conversation. But if there is no common source uh, that is absolute, you end up going in circles because the moment you pin them down to a scriptural passage and that seems to contradict their teaching, they run off on a rabbit trail to some other document. So you're going to have, when you're dealing with a person, to agree that we are dealing with the scriptures and what the scriptures teach, we're going to accept. Unless you, you can come to that kind of arrangement, you're going to have difficulty communicating with a, a person who is um, host of a cultic view. The time across the Eastern Caribbean is 7.50, and you're listening to That's Truth. Uh, go ahead, Pastor. Oh, um, the other, uh, another trait of uh, a cult is the um, denial of the biblical doctrine of justification by faith. Every cult adds something to faith. Uh, there's some aspect, some work that needs to be done. Uh, if it's not some work, it may be some form of ritual you have to perform or you have to keep the law in addition to uh, faith in Jesus Christ. So every cult adds to the, the concept of justification by faith. They're never uh, going to preach on justification by faith exclusively. And that is another distinguishing mark uh, about the cult. Uh, a third mark is the often the devaluation of Jesus. They always present another Jesus, not the biblical Jesus. Now, this is not true of all cultic groups, uh, but there's always uh, a, a diminution of who Jesus is. Um, you take the JW. Uh, Jesus is the first created creature. He's a creature. He's not a divine being. He's not an eternal person. Uh, that's an example. Go ahead. Yeah, the point I'm making here, the cults, the, the Christ of the cults is always someone that is less than the biblical eternal Son of God. Um, they either diminish his divinity or they rule out his humanity. Uh, the Bible presents him as a God-man. He's both God and man. He's eternal. But in, in, in most cults, um, you, you take the, the, the Mormons, for example, um, they do not classify Jesus any, in any unique divinity. They put him among gods. As you know, the Mormons believe in more than one gods. They're gods up there. The other thing that they say that um, um, he is the firstborn spirit. And what that really means is that spiritually he was conceived through the sexual union between 
uh, the male God, Father God, and the Mother God. That's the teaching of the, the, the Mormon Church. And uh, also, as far as the um, JW is concerned, uh, he was Michael the Archangel before he came to Earth. And uh, the Mormons would say that um, Jesus, Lucifer, was Jesus' brother. Uh, so there's always a diminution of him, and you will always. Um, that's why John, for example, emphasizes the deity of Christ so much when he's refuting the Antichrist. So there's not only the extra biblical source of authority. There's not only the idea of the denial of justification by faith by adding something to faith, but clearly there's a devaluation of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, in some way diminishing him. The, the, another mark of the cults is the the group claim exclusive. To be the exclusive community of the faith, uh, of the saved, um, they, they believe that there is no salvation outside of their fold. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe this. Uh, the Mormons believe this as well. I might even go so far as to say that it's the, even the, even though we would not deal with Catholicism, we might deal with that. But even the Catholics believe that the only true church is the Catholic Church, and that you can only be saved by coming through the Catholic Church. Um, when Joseph Smith asked the Lord what church he should have joined when he was looking for a church, he was told by the Lord, he purported to be saved by the Lord, that there was no church. All of them had apostatized, and all of the creeds were abomination. And that's why they started the movement. So um, they, they claim that they, you, you've got to join them, you've got to be part of them, to be part of the safe community. That's one of the classic marks of the cult, and that's where they they have some particular truth that unless you embrace, uh, you're not going to make it, you're not going to get to heaven. Uh, and then there's also the, the group's central role in eschatology. And what I mean by that, they, they always present themselves as the last day of hope for the world, that um, God has spoken to them for this final hour, this final time. And they have the, the message for this final day, this final hour. That's true of the JW. That's even true of the Seventh-day Adventists. That's true of all the others. They believe that they've got the final message for the closing generation. This is the eternal generation, and somehow God has re- revealed to them this truth that is meant for the end of the age. But wouldn't you and I say the same thing about this God's Word, is that this is the final revelation for the final phase of the church age? Yeah, we don't dispute that. Again, it comes back to, is Christianity true or not? But how how are we different in that we say we have the final word, and they're saying, well, uh, let's say 1,800 years later, they got a different final word? Yeah. We're different in the sense that we, we get our teaching from the Word of God, and uh, which is settled, complete. They get the teaching because they have some extra biblical revelation. Some man, as like in the case of Maroni, who appeared to Joseph Smith, or in the case of Ellen G. White, she had these visions and dreams that came directly from God to her. Uh, you take the the Mormon uh, group; they have prophets today through whom the Holy Spirit speaks and gives revelation for today. We say that the revelation of God is complete; the Bible is complete. We get our teachings from the Word. It's a completely different thing between that. We're not going outside Scripture. Okay. We don't claim that we have prophets today that can give revelation. God's revelation is complete, so we get truth from Scripture. They get truth in addition to claiming to follow scripture. They have an extra biblical source, whether it be the prophets, whether it be the leader, uh, there's someone's writings that add to scripture. 
And that is where they differ from Orthodox Christianity. Uh, you want me to continue? Yeah, yeah, go Okay, go so we talk about extra biblical source of authority. We talk about the denial of justification by faith, the devaluation of Jesus Christ in some way or some form, that they're the exclusive community of the saved, and uh, the, the fact that they play some central role in eschatology. Uh, the other thing that I think is important is uh, their vocabulary. And what distinguishes the cult uh, from Orthodox Christianity is that they use the same language the same jargon of Christianity, as it were, but they inject new meaning into it. It's a semantic game where they use double talk. So they may be talking about atonement, but they don't uh, uh, interpret atonement in the biblical sense. Uh, they may talk about Christ being divine, but they don't mean by that that he is full deity. So they are using the language of Scripture, and when you read the, the data and read the literature, it seems as though there are... Uh, right along the line with the Christian faith. But until you understand and in, understand that their words don't mean the same that Orthodox Christianity means, you can easily be deceived. And I think this is one of the great ploys that the cults employ. They use Christian language, but inject different meaning into it. I think that's another classic uh, illustration of um, the matter of... Um, they talk about God, for example, but it's not the God that's revealed in the Scripture in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Would Allah and the Muslims be an example of what you're saying? Yeah, the Muslim is like that. The, the Muslim, for example, in the Quran says that God has no son. The Muslim deny in the Quran that there was Christ didn't die. Somebody has died in his place. The Muslim claim that Christ was never resurrected. Uh, so you're dealing with a, a completely different concept of God, right? The Muslim God is a, one, is a, is a singular unit God, uh, the Christian God, the Trinity, the word that is used is a, a, a word that is plural, a plural unit, like the word family, for example. Mm -hmm. When it says uh, the, the, the Jews would repeat that uh, the Lord your God is one, if you check that word one, it's the same word used in case of Adam and Eve when they came together and became one. It's not a singular. There's a plurality there. That's why in the book of Genesis you hear about let us make man, and man, let us make man in our image. Uh, so... Um, what I'm saying, if you don't know that they're using the same word God, but if you don't understand that they're injecting a different meaning, you can believe that they're teaching orthodox Christianity when in truth and fact they're teaching a deviant doctrine. So it's important to get to definitions and to have the cult define what they mean, otherwise we can be easily misled. Are there any other words that would be examples, or you'll get to those as we go well, through? Well, uh, we'll come to those later, but okay. uh, we'll talk. you take Jesus again. Yeah. The Jesus of the cult is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is the eternal Son of God who uh, became incarnated and have a dual nature. He is the God-man. And he could only be the mediator, by the, fact, by the way, if he is the God-man. Because as, as, as God, he can meet every requirement that God uh, requires. Fulfillment of law, he's of the same nature. As man... He could take the role of dying in man's place because man sinned. It's one of the greatest uh, concepts that one can, uh, when one really begins to understand the fullness of the theology of our redemption and the, the, the fact, this concept of the God man, it is one of those great miraculous um, teachings that answers the fundamental questions at the core of this matter of redemption. So, but again, the cult. Uh, it's a different Jesus. The Jehovah's Witness Jesus is not the eternal Son of God. He's the first created 
uh, creature. Uh, he is Michael the archangel before he came to earth. Not the same Jesus of the Bible. So they're using this word Jesus, but it doesn't have the same meaning. That's why definitions are so crucial when you're dealing with cults. Another thing I would say about the cults is the strong leadership that they have. They always have somebody who is a central figure uh, who becomes so predominant, and he has a unique access to God. And this unique access to God gives him the right, therefore, to... Um, give them the doctrine and the practices that should the cult should follow because he has God's ear in some special way and he's a very, very strong figure. We got Jim Jones, for example, in the Jonestown Massacre where you can get a man who's saying that he's God in the, in the, in the dark glasses, a man that can actually lead people, nine, over 900 people, to drink arsenic. I mean, a, con- a concoction of poisons. Yeah. That gives you how powerful these people can become. Uh, but there's always a strong leader behind a cultic movement that dominates and, and um, almost becomes the voice of God on planet Earth uh, for this century. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 801. You're listening to That's Truth. And we are defining a cult, talking about the characteristics of a cult, and then later in this episode, if we have time, and then for the next few episodes, We're going to be discussing several different new religions or cults and what the Bible says about them, how we can witness to followers of those religions or cults. Pastor, you're sharing some characteristics. Are there more characteristics? Yeah, let me just mention one or two others quickly. And uh, one of the others is the uh, new interpretation that's given to Scripture. This spin Scripture in a distinct way that uh, is completely alien to how the Greek and the Hebrew grammar and context, uh, playing context, would help you to understand what that word. Cults are known for taking passages out of context. They don't consider what comes before or what comes after. And they just latch on to, to some, some word or some idea without looking at the context. That is one of the common uh, traits. You take uh, Herbert W. Armstrong, uh, the Worldwide Church of God. Yeah. Uh, he's now deceased, as you would know. But um, if you read his writings, for example, he redefines hell. Uh, he not only that, he redefines salvation, that uh, give the idea that nobody is saved today, that we will be saved. Now, we know that in the Scripture there are three tenses of salvation. We are saved today from our sin and our guilt. We are being saved, that is, we're being sanctified from the sin nature, and then we will be saved uh, from the very presence of sin. So if you are not aware of these different biblical tenses, and you get a person who can spin it a certain way, so they, they, the cults are known for that, completely taking uh, what would be the orthodox interpretation and somehow twisting it in line with what their leader's interpretation or misinterpretations of that particular passage. Would you say that there's a common dissatisfaction with the original Christianity that these cult leaders, cultic leaders, all experienced, which led them to start these these offshoots, these cults? Well, I, I, we, we'll get to deal with the Mormons sometime, and uh, we'll get to see what was the motive of Joseph Smith, to be okay. very honest with you. But uh, you, I take take um, take um, Russell. That's the uh, JW. JW, for example. One of the problems Russell had uh, when he was 
about 18 years old, he started his own church, basically. He gathered around people around him and started a church where they eventually called him pastor. Russell was never ordained, by the way. We'll come to that shortly uh, sometime. But again, what moved him away from Christianity? He was a Congregationalist, and he found the doctrine of hell very offensive. He could not conceive about the biblical doctrine of hell, so he, he had an ant- antipathy towards the biblical doctrine of hell that people would be eternally separated from God and tormented and there's little fire, etc., etc. He had a real problem with that. So what he did, basically, is that he formed his own religion. And that's one of the things about the Jehovah's Witness. They do not have a place for the eternal punishment of the unsaved. They don't have a place for the biblical doctrine of hell. But you've got to understand that the motivation behind the movement, this is one of the things that he found offensive, totally offensive, modern Orthodox Christianity. Is there ever a time and a place that we are allowed to take our personal feelings and interpret Scripture in light of our personal feelings? The proper methods of interpretation is called the the the, the um, uh, hermeneutics, the laws of interpretation, and um, these are laws that should not be violated, even if your feelings or your emotions or your thinking go contrary to that. You don't interpret the Bible according to what you think or what you feel. You got to interpret the Bible according to the language that it was written in the the Greek language, the Hebrew language. If you don't understand grammar, you don't understand syntax. Uh, You would never understand the subtleties of the Greek language or the Hebrew language. And that's the problem with the cults. Every major cult that is today in existence, the founder did not know anything about the original languages and did not understand the Greek grammar, the Greek syntax. And that has led to uh, um, all of these deviant groups starting not fully understanding the, the biblical language. A lot of them, not a lot, most of them had no background in theology. Think of the Mormon, think of Joseph Smith for just a moment. What is his educational level in terms of biblical knowledge? He knew no Greek, he knew no Hebrew. Take Ellen G. White. What's the extent of her knowledge? She was like sixth grade or third grade. Correct. But she knew no Hebrew. She knew no Greek as well. Uh, Take take Russell. Uh, Again, uh, dropped out of high school, basically. Hmm. He has no theological background. He has no no background in philosophy, no background in in, in languages. Uh, He's not a linguist. He knows no Greek. He knows no Hebrew. And again, that will be exposed if we deal with the JW Witness. So um, a lot of times these are people that... I have an opinion that is contrary to what is revealed, and now I have to come to the Scriptures to find passages to support my... This is not exegesis, this is eisegesis, this is reading into the text, as opposed to reading out of the text what is there. And that is fundamentally one of the great errors that the cults make. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? We would love for you to ask him, and he will answer it from Scripture. Uh, The phone number is 268 Four six two seven four two zero, and to the caller who called earlier, if you call back, we will put you on the air. Uh, sorry for the mix-up. If you would like to WhatsApp or text your question, you can do that to two six eight seven eight two one four five four. If you are joining us on Facebook Live, thank you for joining us. Glad to have you along as part of the conversation, and you can add your thoughts or. Your question for Pastor Murphy as a comment, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Let me mention one last one, um, which has to do with the fact that because they perceive themselves to play a central role in eschatology, things last to come, 
most of them, uh, all a lot of them, have ventured to make uh, predictions that turned out to be false. Uh, again, because they're supposed to play a central role in the end times, and this has led them. This is true of the Jehovah's Witness. This is true of the Seventh-day Adventists, and this is also true of the Worldwide Church of God. Take uh, uh, the JW, for example. Um, Russell predicted the world would come to an end in 1914. But not 1914, about seven times that the, the, the organization has predicted the world would come to an end. 1973. They keep shifting and shifting and shifting and shifting. For example, let me give you a few quotes up here from Russell. Um, he said, all present governments will be overthrown and dissolved in 1914. You find this, the time is at hand, page 98, page 1999. Uh, he also went on to say in time of hand, um, in 1912, he said, full establishment of the kingdom of God in the earth uh, at uh, AD 1914 uh, and the ruins of the present um, institutions. So everything will be ruined in 1914. Uh, he said also these words, Christ was spiritually present in 1874 and will be present on the earth's rule in 1914. I mean, these are direct roads coming from a man who founded the movement. But again, they've had to shift and shift and shift. And there's been a massive cover-up, by the way. They have taken the books where these things were found and redacted them and changed the information, et cetera, et cetera. But this, the, the, the resources are still there in libraries that these are actually quotations that came directly. So it's a massive... You take um, the, the Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, 1833, Christ supposed to return. Then he didn't return. Then it was 1834. In October, Christ did not return. So how was the explanation for that now? Well, a guy is going across a, a cornfield called Addison, and um, he has a dream that Christ left the holy place in heaven to go into the Holy of Holies. So he did return, but he didn't return to earth. He just went from holy place to the Holy of Holies. Now, how do you know that? Well, the guy had a vision. Yeah. See, <laughs> So it, it, they, they make predictions, and then they find themselves. And the, the honest truth about um, William Miller started the Adventist movement is that when he realized that his prophecy did not come true, in 33 and 34. He was an honest man in that respect. He left the movement. He'd made an error. He'd made a false calculation. But it was Hiram that saved the day by claiming he had this vision that Christ moved from one to the other. And what is he doing today? Well, he went into the Holy of Holies to do what's called investigative judgment. Mm -hmm. But why does he need 2,000 years to find out who's going to heaven and who's going to, uh, to hell? That makes no sense whatsoever. It's an all-knowing God. He should be able to figure that out. <laughs> but again, a, a false prophecy has to be explained because yeah. it is there documented. And that leads from one error to the other, and a cover-up, 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 cover-up. As you share that, I think of, I don't know if you're familiar with the name Harold Camping. No, uh, I'm not familiar uh, with him. He's, I mean, even in the last 10 years or so, was making predictions like that in 2000, I think it was 2000 and. 14 or thereabouts that the world was going to come to an end and and but I thought of the passage and I can't remember specifically where it is that says you'll know false prophets or you'll know prophets by whether they're if one prophecy doesn't come true it's all false you're supposed to stone them wasn't that the <laughs> that was a biblical admonition because look even from false prophets are not something new uh, go back to the Old Testament and you will find Jeremiah is slapped in his mouth because one prophet told the is uh, told the king to go ahead. You can be victorious. He said, "Yeah, yeah, go ahead if you want to," but I tell you that uh, that's, you're going to be 
defeated, and Jeremiah was incarcerated, he was put in a slime pit, etc., etc. Go to the book of Isaiah, and you'll find that there's a great lamentation against false prophets. There's nothing new. Hmm. You even go back to uh, the time of Moses, uh, and you read about Jambres and so on in, in the New Testament talking about false prophets. So there's nothing new. The truth, remember, and I, I don't know if you're weird, we're in a real spiritual battle. You've got God with truth, and you've got an enemy called Satan. And he's, from the time of the very beginning, he's been trying to deceive man by contradicting and creating doubt in the mind of people as to what God has really said. This started in the Garden of Eden, and it continues throughout all history. And uh, Paul warns about these things happening. Peter warns about these things happening, that perilous times are going to come, men will be deceived, doctrines of demons, etc., etc. So this is nothing new. The church just needs to be alert that we stick with the truth of God's Word because the, the day of deception is here. Christ said in Matthew chapter 24, for example, that if it were possible, even the very elect could be deceived. And if you go to Matthew chapter 24, about four or five times, the key word there is deception, and deception, deception, deception. That is going to be the mark of the end time. And we need to be alert and take uh, these prophetic words seriously, lest we be deceived ourselves. So you're saying these cults are active in the Caribbean, not just in the U.S.? Or oh, all over the world, okay. all over the world. Uh, uh, I read some time ago when the Berlin Wall came down, uh, you know, East Germany, that all of these cults rushed into Germany, mm. uh, rushed into that part of the world, yeah. East Germany and the other parts of the world, and they all went across there as though they were Christians, all, all claiming to be given the Christian message. Some of them would not even let people know who they were. They're just, the, the name was hidden. This this thing is spreading, and we've got to be aware that it's spreading. And uh, as Christians, we need to be alert about it and take the Bible seriously in this regard. You're listening to That's Truth. We're talking about cults. We're talking about what a cult is, the characteristics of a cult. And now let's talk about why specifically do people follow cults? Are there certain personality traits that tend to follow cults more than others? Um, there are a lot of reasons given uh, why people uh, follow uh, follow cults. Um, there's no specific order in which these I should give these things, but um, one of the issues that are raised, that, uh, one of the reasons that's given is the complete disillusionment with the Western world, with modern Christianity. Christian, Christianity. Um, Remember that the whole Western world was built on Judeo-Christian principles. And then in the um, 18th century, you had the period of enlightenment. And then you had the, the, um, you had the undermining of, Christ- of Christianity in the 19th century by the German rationalists who undermined Scripture. From the 18th century, right, 17th, 18th, 19th century, and then you had liberalism in the late 19th and 20th century, all undermining uh, people's faith in the Bible, all calling the Bible into question, all all um, using uh, what is called literary criticism to undermine Scripture so that people lost confidence in the Scriptures and in the Bible. And uh, as a result of that, uh, the West started turning to the East. And then you had the influx of all these Eastern religions. You've got Hindu coming in, Buddhism coming in. So it was a complete disillusion 
with the spiritual state of the Western world, we had, which had gone away from biblical truth, gone away from Scripture, and because there was no longer foundational truth on which to build one's life, people looked to other ways. Man is a spiritual being. Never, never forget that. Man has a, a spiritual vacuum in him. Yes, go ahead. We have a WhatsApp question, Pastor, that's come in from Antigua. Thank you to the listener who sent it. Why do Jehovah's Witness, why are Jehovah's Witnesses so active in going door to door if no one else other than the 144,000 can get to heaven? Well, you've got to understand that Jehovah's Witness is motivated by a works salvation. It's not just a matter of faith. You, you, you come to God by faith, but what really uh, keeps you safe and what uh, will actually bring you into reward into heaven is the amount of work you do for Jehovah. So they uh, are very active in that regard uh, because they're motivated uh, with, to get a heavenly reward. Uh, and don't forget that while 144,000 are going uh, to heaven only, don't forget that the others are going to live on earth. So there's still a motive to, to live on earth. It's, you still have eternal life, but you're not living in, in heaven. You're living on earth. So there's still the motivation, the spiritual motivation. But besides that, um, I do not discount that some of these people are really sincere. They really believe that they have the message for the end time. They are the, the ones that God has called, and they have a central role in the end time. So they are motivated to carry the message because they really believe that they are central to God's plan. And uh, they are motivated that way. So while they have a works motivation in terms of getting eternal life, they also believe that they have a central role that God has given to them, and they are motivated by that. What if we as Christians uh, really felt the way that they felt, and we, yeah. that we played a central role the, this is a terminal generation. We have a central role to play to bring men into the kingdom. Would we not also be motivated? But the problem with us as Christians is that we, we, we claim to believe the truth, but we are very, very slow on acting on the truth, and it's not a dynamic force in our lives so that to our shame and our embarrassment, the cults are doing a far better job in terms of reaching people. They've got seem to have more zeal and more zip. But we are not motivated by work salvation, so maybe that's a fact as well. We know that by faith in Christ and Christ alone, a person is justified. And maybe if we, had, if we can add a little bit of works to that, maybe we yeah. might be motivated. But again, if we did that, we go contrary to Scripture, so we can't. So we have to depend on the Holy Spirit motivating believers to, to do the work of evangelism. But we know that we have the truth, so we should, that motivation we should, should be, be we really should be we really should be motivated uh, as Christians uh, I think we are all embarrassed when we look at what the cults are doing the advances they're making uh, how they're expanding and they've got all kinds of activities going on and reaching out uh, home Bible studies uh, tent crusades you just name it they're aggressive yeah. uh, the church is too passive we need a spiritual revival and only that will inflame the church once again what uh, what are some other reasons that people are following or joining the cults other than disillusionment with Western Christianity? Well, the other thing is that uh, there is a, a general fear in terms of the future. For example, 
uh, think you're aware uh, before it was nuclear war was going to come because you had the Cold War going between America and and uh, Russia. There was always that idea that we might have a nuclear war and we might be obliterated. It's global uh, warming. Uh, no, it's global warming. Uh, people are beginning to panic, et cetera, et cetera. But there, there has, and also not only that, some of the major diseases. Uh, you you had AIDS coming on the scene. Now you got Ebola. Yeah. That's even worse. And there's something worse going to come as well because that's just the beginning. The Bible warns about these things. So uh, people have a sense of insecurity. And the cults offer security because they speak with such certainty, with such authority, as though they have a corner on the truth. They don't speak with uh, uh, with any hesitancy, as though they have. In other words, it is this kind of authoritative teaching, this kind of authoritative claim, that is the attraction. Because insecure people are looking for security, and what better security to find than some strong leader who seems to have a corner of the truth, and uh, who sometimes a very charismatic personality, uh, a great speaker. A smooth speaker, and therefore he seems to draw people within the cultic group. Uh, the other thing, of course, is the fact that while we're in a very big world and we have every form of entertainment uh, that you can conceive, uh, this is a very lonely world, and there are a lot of people who you move around people, but you can still feel lonely. And loneliness is one of those great factors that move people in the cultic direction. And they, when, when they move in the cultic direction, they're looking for affection. Uh, they're looking for affirmation. Community. They're looking for community. Yeah. They're looking for acceptance. Uh, and the cults seem to offer that family uh, setting. Um, you take the Mormons, for example. Everybody knows that they're very big on the family, right? Mm-hmm. I take the Jehovah's Witness as well. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, you can be excommunicated uh, if you associate or go places or, or listen to different groups, et cetera, et cetera. But they, 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 they kind of smother you with that kind of cultic love to make you feel belong and you accepted and, and so on. So I think that is a, another factor. It's sometimes called love bamming uh, that is, is engaged in this matter. And then the other thing is the breakdown of the real family. Don't ever forget that. Uh, intact families used to be very strong religious and strongly religious and family would go to church, family would have family time. That's all gone. So every person in the family is now doing his own thing. And remember that we are social beings. We are family oriented whether we like it or not. And that family aspect is provided by the cult, uh, kind of a family lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. That was the attraction of James Stong, uh, John James Jones Stong in, yeah. in Guyana with Jim Jones. Uh, yeah. You listen to the documentary that was done, I've seen it about two or three times here in Antigua. Uh, that was the attraction that uh, people went down there, left and did all this, brought their savings, left their home, their families, because they gave them community. They planted together, ate together, uh, until, of course, they become became disillusioned yeah. after a while because this is something that was just uh, misleading. Uh, and then uh, the other fact, I think, is the decline of the church. Let's face it, Christianity is being given a knocking all over. 
uh, and uh, with the decline of Orthodox Christianities, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that has led the, the, the cults to come in and fill that vacuum because, as I, keep say, as I mentioned before, man is a religious being. He will worship something or someone. He needs religious community. And uh, because they don't find that within the, 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 the church, they look outside the church for that kind of uh, religious community. Are there specific methods or techniques, and this kind of overlaps with the past question, but unique methods or techniques that the cults use to draw people in? Um, I, I mentioned a moment ago, and as you said, it'd be some repetition. I think one of the, the, the key things here is the, the authoritative teaching that they give. They don't apologize, or they're not apologetic in their teaching or their preaching. Uh, they're saying that we are the organization for the last days. We have a specific message for this time. We have a corner on, on God because we have apostles that God speaks to and now convey the message to. Uh, the JW would say that Christ is the head of their organization. He, he filters the information through their leaders, and that gives them direct almost direct communication. So anything that they write or say basically comes directly from God. Now, we don't say that. We can't say that. All we can say is that it comes from the book because this is God's book. But we don't claim that we have any peculiar corner on God somewhere, etc., etc. And people find that attractive because people are looking for what they call some relevance. And uh, because the book, the Bible, has been so undermined by theologians, undermined by rationalists, uh, and undermined by liberals. Uh, and don't forget that even today, uh, Christianity is be knocked all over, every direction. This has led people away from the Orthodox churches, and they're now finding comfort in the cults. You are mentioning the confidence with which they speak. I came across this quote, Russell, and Russell is the founder of the Jehovah's Witness movement. He proclaimed that anyone who reads the volumes, these volumes alone, talking about the Watchtower, even without consulting the Bible, would nevertheless have the light of scriptures. But reading the Bible without his book, the Watchtower Theology, one could end up in darkness. That is a strong, stunning, scary quote. It's not only a stunning, it's an egotistical quote. So you're saying yeah. that your writings is better than the far Bible. supersedes the Bible, and if I read your writings, I'd be far more knowledgeable, far more wiser by reading your writings and reading directly from Scripture. Here's a mistake that he makes. The mistake he, he, he makes is he doesn't, well, again, you're dealing with JW. They do not believe in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. They believe the Holy Spirit is not a person. For us, the Holy Spirit is a teacher. So when we go to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit enables us to understand the Scriptures. For the Jehovah's Witness, there's no Holy Spirit to teach. So we've got to go to the leader who gets information from God. See, So that is why they make those kinds of arrogant statements. But that's an a, a, a egotistical statement for any man to make, that his writings are far superior to the Bible, and by reading his writings and not reading the Bible, you become much more wise and much more spiritual. Especially for someone that had had a seminary training. <laughs> that is going to be one of the revelations when we begin to discuss the, the, um, the JW, uh, to really understand um, that really this person with very, very limited knowledge of biblical truth has led a, an organization like this from its very foundation. Staggering. 
What are some of the cults or these religions that you'd like to discuss over the next few episodes? Uh, let me just yeah. um, mention some other things that we need to be aware of. Uh, always remember that fallen human beings have an affinity for falsehood. So it's not surprising that people tend to move towards the cults. Okay. That's the point I'm making. Human nature is such. That's why the Bible says men love darkness more rather than light. Christianity is about light. It's about truth. Uh, and uh, cults are able to twist that truth and turn it into error. And human beings are susceptible to it because there's this, this inclination towards error as opposed to towards truth. And then let's not forget that the Bible warns us that there will be spiritual subversion during the end times. Uh, Paul talks about that in his epistles. Uh, you also find that in, in, in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, and also in 1 Peter chapter 2. So we've got to be aware that we should not be surprised that this cultic explosion is t- taking place in the end times, as it were, because this is already predicted that this is going to happen. So don't be surprised. You remember that Jesus made a statement as well that when he returned to earth, will he find faith? See, Remember also that Christ was asked the question, are there few that be saved? Yeah. Right. So let's be aware, very much aware, that there is going to be this spiritual subversion in the end time, and there will be this expansion and escalation of the cultic movements uh, in the end time. And this is exactly what is taking place today. But that is no reason for us to move away from the the truth of Scripture. Uh, we must hold to Scripture uh, because that's the only foundation for objective truth. We have a WhatsApp message that's come from the U.S. Is Catholicism a cult? And if so, what is the attraction to such belief? If you want to define a cult as a deviation from Orthodox Christianity, um, there are some that would classify Catholicism as a cult for, for this reason. Uh, Catholicism has added a lot of um, theological appendages to Christianity. For example, they've they've got the immaculate conception of, of Mary. And Mary was not immaculately conceived. That means she was conceived without sin. Now, where in the world do you ever find that in the Scriptures? Even Mary confessed that she needed the Savior. I rejoice in, in, in God my Savior. So she, even she recognized that she was a sinner, but again, the Catholic Church said, oh, the Immaculate Conception of Mary. And then the Assumption of Mary. Mary never died. She was taken directly to heaven. As a fact, I have a church in Barbados called the Queen of Heaven. She's now enthroned as queen. There's no queen in heaven. There's a king, but not a queen. See, uh, Take the matter of um, um, the matter of well, praying to Mary. P- praying to Mary. That's yeah. a, that's an example. Again, where in the world are you ever given any concept that we should pray to a human being? You pray directly to God. You never pray directly to Mary. And then what about the rosary? It's just a repetition of saying, uh, Hail Mary, <laughs> repetitious prayer. You've we have a caller from Nevis. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, the Jehovah Witnesses, they say that Jesus never rose from the dead. What the disciples, uh, the apostles saw after his so-called resurrection was an apparition. It wasn't that which was placed in the grave that came back to life, but an apparition that appeared unto the disciples. 
What's the take on it? You want my opinion on it? Yeah. Well, it's clearly an error. It's a it's a heresy, to be honest with you. Uh, the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus Christ was literally, physically raised from the dead. That's the point of Paul's writings in, in Corinthians chapter 15. What did Jehovah they said that Jesus had a spiritual resurrection, but not a bodily, physical, tangible resurrection. And we know that after Jesus was resurrected, um, um, he told um, the disciples to put your hand in my side and put your hand in my hand. Now, he had a spiritual body, but he had a body nonetheless. But the Jehovah's Witness teach that Christ was raised spiritually. When you ask what happened to the body, they don't know. They say maybe it dissolved in the grave. So it's clearly an error. And uh, I, could I say this? This is where we got to understand that all religions are not the same, and all religions cannot come together because there are fundamental doctrinal issues between religions. We could not join with the Jehovah's Witness who teach that error about the resurrection. Because if there's no resurrection, we're all in our sins. There's no salvation whatsoever. And that puts the... That puts the Jehovah's Witness in a precarious boat. I don't know if they understand their theology or not, but there's no gospel if there's no physical, literal resurrection of Christ. And if there's no gospel, there's no salvation. And if there's no salvation, we're still in our sins. We're doomed. We're damned. That is the implication of holding the position that they hold to. But you're right. You're right about that. It's a heretical teaching. Okay. Thank you so much. God disposed of the body of Jesus Christ because... If he had leave it in the grave, then they would have said that he is risen. So he took him out of the grave and disposed of it. So that when they come to the, the grave at the sepulchre, they don't see any body. Yeah. But he was that body that was put in the grave never came back to life. Well, again, I, I think you've got a valid point. That is the teaching of the JW. They, they do not believe in the literal bodily resurrection of Christ. And um, that is a significant uh, error on their part, doctrinal error. As a matter of fact, that puts them outside the pale of salvation. Because if a person does not believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he cannot be saved. Cannot enter God's heaven and will not be pardoned or forgiven. There's no justification. Read Romans chapter four. And you see very clearly that Paul makes it abundantly clear that um, we have to believe in Him that raised Christ from the dead and that Christ died for our sins, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's no resurrection. There's no salvation. Uh, so you're correct about this, and that's one of the main reasons where we put the JW within the cultic category. Thank you for that call. We appreciate it. And as you were talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I was thinking back to, and I don't remember which author it was I was reading that said that one of the greatest illustrations or proofs that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead was the fact that the disciples went from hiding in a room Mm -hmm. to being willing to die and be crucified upside down. Uh, If they hadn't seen him, if they weren't convinced that it was true, why in the world would they have given up everything they had, yeah. including their life, for the, the teaching of Jesus Christ? And it's interesting, well, Nathan, if you go to the book of Acts, where the gospel is now being spread from the church in Jerusalem to Samaria and um, the uttermost parts of the world, go through every sermon that is preached, whether by Peter or Paul, and what's the main thing? The resurrection. That was the key doctrine, the resurrection. Whether he stands before kings or governors or before ordinary men or philosophers or teachers, the emphasis there is always that 
God raised him from the dead. So that was central to the t- preaching of the word. And let's go back to Corinthians chapter 15. If there's no resurrection, our preaching is in vain mm. because we preach that Christ raised from the dead. See, So that's a very crucial doctrine. I want to mention one other thing um, about why it's so attractive to cults. And sometimes it is um, intellectual pride. That might seem kind of weird to make that statement. But there are some people who think that Christianity is not sophisticated enough. And they like, like it's too simple. Too or? simple. Okay. They they like something more uh, esoteric. They want something that uh, more mystical. And that's where the Eastern religions have come in now. Bring in reincarnation. Bring in the idea of higher consciousness. Uh, bring in the idea of Nirvana. Nirvana. Uh, bring in the idea of a guru or some kind of an ascended master or avatar that can lead you and guide you, a spiritual guide. So they find that that song's more modern and more sophisticated than Christianity, which says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. They want something more complex and more difficult. And that the attraction of the cults, I think, is that it sometimes Christianity is viewed as too, too simplistic for this uh, intellectual group that uh, seems to dominate the world today. Too smart. <laughs> what are some of the the groups or some of the cults just to list them not that we go in and define them right now but that you'd like to cover over the next few weeks well i would like us to deal with the jehovah's witness i think that's a major group that we need to deal with i i think we also need to deal with the mormons which is the more recent group that came to antigua um they've established church here um and to my passing there seemed to be a church that's beginning to grow I know that they've got uh, different assemblies. I know there's a big uh, thing in, in, in St. Vincent. I think they do have a temple in St. Vincent, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think that people believe that these are really Christians. But if they really understand the doctrine of the Mormon movement, will understand clearly that we're dealing with an aberrant group. This is not uh, This is not authentic Christianity. This is something completely different. I'd like us to also um, deal with the Philadelphian group. What is that? That is a group. Uh, uh, there's one church here that um, it's located on um, um, All Saints Road, All Saints Road, and uh, it's a small building, but you can't miss it. It's on the right hand side if you're coming from town, the left hand side, and it's just before where they used to have the the um, um, a school there. I think Belmont School, I think it used to be, if I'm not mistaken. But just about that, I want to talk a little bit about that as well. And then perhaps even the Christadelphians, which is another group in the Caribbean. I'd like to talk about the Rastafarian movement. That is also a cultic movement. And uh, Transcendental Meditation. Uh, the New Age movement is another one that we like to talk about. And then, of course, we can't leave out the Seventh-day Adventists. While there's a, uh, Dr. Martin would not put them in, they categorize them as a cult any longer because they've revised their doctrine and they've given official position of their doctrinal statements. Yet there are some things that we are deeply concerned about within the Adventist movement. The matter of the law, for example, the fact is soul sleep, the fact that there's no eternal hell, that people be annihilated, uh, the prominent role that Ellen G. White plays within the movement, uh, the fact that the claims that they make about her books are totally false, uh, the claims that she made as well, that she was given visions and angels spoke to her. Uh, we will show you very clearly that most of her writings were plagiarized. 
um, a, a, a interesting book that if the audience would like to, to try, go online and, and, and find a book called The White Lie. It's a fascinating book, but it presents to you her writings and exactly where she got the material from. And the writing she claims she got from angels and she got direct from God, it's embarrassing when you read the book. Verbatim quotes are given in the book. And this is where, again, without White, Ellen G. White, you have no Seventh-day Adventism. She's the one that had visions of going up in heaven and saw the, the commandments in the... In the, um, the um, Mercy seat under the yeah. mercy seat, and she saw a halo around the fourth commandment. Yeah. So without her, really Adventism collapses. But then when you look at her integrity and the fact that she has misled and lied that she wrote these books given directly from God, one begins to understand that you have to reevaluate. And many Adventists have done that, begun to reevaluate. Uh, what they believe and some have actually left the movement when they begin to understand and to see the documentary evidence that they were misled in this regard. So I think it's important for us to, to deal with that as well. Uh, would you cover the Hindus or the Muslims? Yeah, oh yeah, we would like oh. to cover the, the Hindus, Hinduism, and cover the Muslim movement. As you know, the Muslim movement is one of the great big movements, especially a lot in, the, in the America now is, is beginning yeah. to... And then, of course, with uh, Merkel and the Europeans just opened the door with all of these refugees, you're going to yeah. find that that's going to become a predominant, well, not a dominant part in Europe. Even in England now, Sharia law is allowed in certain parts of England. Imagine that. That's inconceivable that they be allowed in certain parts of England. So Muslims are infiltrating the world. They're using the petrodollars, of course, to do evangelism, et cetera, et cetera. It's a major threat to Christianity. No doubt I about saw that. a couple of studies today that stated that by the year 2100 or even before, there will be more Muslims if the Lord tarries, and I hope he doesn't wait that long. <laughs> but if the Lord tarries by the year 2100 at the rate we're going, there will be more Muslims alive than there will be Christians. I had a professor when I was at school in 1974, 1978, at uh, BJ. His name was Dr. Jesse Boyd. He taught me the book of Hebrews. And I will never forget a statement he made. He really believes that there's going to be a great religious clash in the end times between Christianity and Islam. I never forget that statement when he was teaching me in one of his courses. I think it was the book of Hebrews. Um, I didn't follow up to find out what he said that, but I thought it was amazing to look at what's happening in the world, that you seem to be, that's the clash we seem to be headed towards, and uh, so on. So I think that is true about the Islam. It's spreading. It, it's uh, And then... Uh, one reason for that, Brother Nathan, is that, and I don't know how to put it this way, Christians have been misled that uh, there's a great threat to the population growth, so you keep your family to one or two people. Muslims, I don't have to tell you, have large families, yeah. large families. Christians are brought into that thing, and therefore they got one or two children. Muslims having five, six, seven. Hindus, don't talk about them again. They've they got dozens, basically. Yeah. And the population shift uh, is beginning to happen where Christians are in a minority because we've really reduced family size. And these other groups are growing by leaps and bounds because they don't restrict the family. They, they want large families. That is a significant move in terms of the social change in the world. Well, we had a caller on the air. If you'd like to call back, we will put you on the air. Uh, I was doing some reading today, Pastor, and I was really shocked by this number. Since the year 1750, there are over 260 new religious movements that have started up 
since the year 1750, and currently in the world it's estimated that there are 4,200, 4,200 religions in the world. If there is one truth, and I'm, for those of you that are listening, I'm holding up the Bible. If there's one truth, Pastor, why in the world are there 4,200 religious movements in the world? Well, again, you've got to understand what I pointed out to you a moment ago, that there's something called spiritual subversion. You have an enemy whose job is to confuse and to deceive. Put it this way. Here is a powerful, infernal spirit being called Lucifer, called Satan, the enemy of God. His doom is absolutely certain. There's no repentance for him. He knows his doom is sealed. His task at this point in time is to bring as much as many people with him to his own destruction. He is an evil, subversive being that tries to undermine the, Christi uh, the truth of God and Christianity, and he's at work. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 6, and you'll see that Paul talks about we're in a spiritual war. It's not a flesh and blood war. It's about people, uh, spirits that read, read out in darkness of this age, the rulers of this, this age, uh, spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a subversive, subversive act by Satan and his um, uh, evil spirits that are trying everywhere to undermine God's truth, and trying to damn human beings. So you cannot explain what is happening here. Uh, you talk about these amount of cults. Uh, you said 4,200. 4,200 uh, religions. You talk about 260 since 1750. Again, a mastermind is behind this to create total, total confusion and deception. You cannot explain it apart from a supernatural attempt to undermine the, the true Christian faith. This is what's been happening, and we need to see it in that light. Men are just the, the human instruments, but behind these movements are infernal powers and forces that are trying to destroy, deceive, and ultimately to ruin the human race. Remember that Satan can only get at God through his beings that God has created. Never forget that. And uh, this is where he's, uh, he's, uh, he's attacking God through his creature. He can't attack God directly because he's no match for God. So he's left only to attack the creature. And this is where he's trying to, to destroy humankind uh, by the proliferation of all of the different cultic movements within the world. Pastor, we have a number of questions that have come in here via WhatsApp. Uh, we have a caller who has called back. We'll... Thank you for calling. What is your question? Good evening. Good evening. Uh, this is a call from New York. Yes, sir. I called earlier. Yeah, I appreciate your calling. Honestly, we do appreciate your calling. There's a question I have. Is not, does the Bible not say that Jesus Christ is the beginning of the creation of God? Yes, the Bible says that, but again, if you understand the Greek language, it means that Jesus Christ is the originator of the creation of God, not that he was the first creature. And that's the mistake, again, that the Jehovah's make. They do not understand the Greek language. They do not understand Greek grammar. They have no lexical background. They have no linguistic background. Here is Russell, a man that has no theological knowledge, has no knowledge of Greek or the Hebrew language, and therefore he interprets that, not understanding and going behind to understand what the Greek taught. Listen, if you have a problem anytime with a scriptural passage, 
you need to do a forensic examination of the Greek language, understand the grammar, understand the tenses, understand the, the etymology of the word, understand the, the context of the word. So without that kind of a background, you can be misled because remember that the King James Version is a translation of the Greek language and the Hebrew language. And sometimes the translation can be misinterpreted and misleading. And that's why you need clarity from the original language as opposed to a second language like English. Uh, okay. Okay, thank you very much for that call. Pastor, uh, if it's important for us to go back to the Greek language or the Hebrew language, if there's confusion, are there books that, I, I'm not a Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar, is there a book that I can go to that can be trusted to examine that? You can you can buy berries interlinear, and this will give you the Greek next to the the uh, the English translation, you can get Strong's Concordance or, or or Young's Concordance, where you can look up the Greek word and find the meaning of the word, and then there are some you can you can um, there are some Bible programs you can buy online using um, the CDs that will actually break down the the text for you, give you the verb, give you the the voice tell you about the syntax, and then there will be a reference to the back of it with a code would help to explain to you if this is a linear tense or the aorist tense or the imperfect tense. And then if you want to know what that, that means, they have a, a, a vocabulary in the back that explains what the linear tense is, what the, what, the, uh, what the aorist tense would be, the imperfect tense would be. So there are a lot of aids that we have as uh, living in the English-speaking world, I often feel for people who are not English, to be honest with you, yeah. because there's so many uh, sources that we can, we can, we can. We don't have these days to necessarily know the Greek language. We just have to be able to read uh, good English and then uh, take these these books and understand the meaning of them. Then, but again, I like to say this: I would never follow. Uh, a religious leader who introduces some new doctrine or some new interpretation if he doesn't know Greek or he doesn't know Hebrew and he's not a linguist. I would never ever in my entire life follow a person like that because um, to get the full grasp of what these words mean, you have to know the original languages and you must have some background in theology, etc., etc. Without that, uh, this person is operating within a vacuum. Uh, we have a number of three WhatsApp questions, uh, maybe more, that have come in. Are Jehovah's Witnesses Christians, and do Jehovah's Witnesses use the Bible? Well, Jehovah's Witness, uh, let me put it this way, if they believe what they believe, that Jesus Christ is a, a creature, he was Michael the Archangel, uh, if, they, if they believe what they believe um, in connection with the fact that a soul sleep believe in that there's no 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 hell uh if they believe in, in works if they don't believe 144,000 going to heaven this puts them outside the pale of christianity now they claim to use the bible but they've come up with their own translation called the new world translation and by the way there is not a um qualified greek or hebrew scholar that will tell you that is an authentic inter, um, translation. You cannot find one that will say that that is a proper translation. It's a misleading translation. They do not have any competent Greek scholars or Hebrew scholars within that movement. Consequently, they've come up with this translation that is so twisted. They put in words. They interpret words according to their own particular spin of what uh, Russell taught them. 
So um, we do not consider them to be within the pale of Christianity. We believe that they're a cultic movement, and it's, it's inconceivable that anybody can be saved who really does not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. How can a person be saved and not believe that? It's totally impossible, because everything is dependent on who he is. If he is not who he is, he cannot save. And people need to understand the ramifications. This is not a minor doctrine. This is a major doctrine. And uh, we, we need to... Look, the problem today is people are no longer rational. They're no longer logical. They go by the emotions and by their feelings. And consequently, you, they don't like to, anybody to be dogmatic. Uh, they rather want you to be diplomatic. But we can only speak where the Bible speaks, and we can speak with all the authority of God's Word, because in the end, all we're left with is the Word of God, and we can't deviate on that, we can't change, and we cannot in any way try to mitigate His teachings. We've got to ex- explain to the public and state very explicitly and very clearly what the Bible teaches, and do so with clarity and with dogmatism. Why do Jehovah's Witnesses accept why don't JWs accept blood transfusions? Well, again, we'll come to that later, but let me just say this. Uh, they use the, uh, the in, in the book of um, uh, Genesis, which said you should not drink blood. They think that when you have a blood transfusion, you're actually disobeying that verse of Scripture. So you're, you're actually, uh, I don't know how that can go from eating blood to being, but in their interpretation of that passage, because it said you should not eat blood, you should not drink yeah. blood, you should not, they, when you have a blood transfusion, they see that as a violation of that particular uh, passage. So we'll come to that to explain that in greater detail. But that's the motivation behind it, that if you have a blood transfusion, you're actually as though you're eating. You're not going through your mouth, but it's going through your veins, so therefore you're eating it. Therefore, um, they do not um, encourage uh, blood transfusions. These next couple of questions, I'm sure we'll get to, probably not tonight, but maybe next week. Uh, Why don't JW celebrate Christ's birth or resurrection, but they celebrate his death? And a follow-up question to that from another person in Antigua was, how should I respond to a JW when they come to my door and share their publication? Let me deal with that one first, because as much, I think the other one will come along with with our discussion with the JW. But uh, when it comes to the the, uh, the Jehovah's Witness, um, my counsel to you would be, I, I personally have never been able to win a Jehovah's Witness to Christ. Uh, part of the reason for that is that there's no common basis of arguing. They agree that we'll use the King James Version, they use the Bible. But the moment you show them, t- take take John chapter 1. Yeah. In the beginning was the Word, the, word, the was word was God, and the Word was God. The moment you deal with that, now they go to the New World Translation, which translate that in the beginning was word, the word, the word was, and the Word was a God. Yeah. So again, the, the only way to deal with that is if you can have your computer and you have uh, maybe an interlinear, because the argument is, is that the 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 nung there um, doesn't have the the definite article. It is an anarthus uh, nung. In other words, they, they use it. In, but again, not understanding the Greek language when there is no article. They are they don't understand how to interpret the passage of scripture because every time there's not the 
the article, the, the emphasis is on the nature, the, the nature. So when it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was and the Word was God, it simply means that Christ was of the same nature of God, not that he was an a God and an inferior God, but of the same nature, the same substance. It's, the emphasis there is on nature, and I, 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 that's why I said before: if you don't understand Greek, you don't understand Hebrew. You have no right to espouse a particular doctrine or give a spin to it that is contrary to the normal orthodox teaching on that matter because you don't know the grammar, you don't know the Greek language, and you therefore will not be able to interpret it properly. Um, but when I I mentioned to say that, we always get into a debate because they rush from one verse to the other as soon as you can show them something. They agree at first. But then the moment you show them something, they say, well, they need to be interpreted this way, and this is how a verse translated. All I would say to you is that if you have a genuine concern for a Jehovah's Witness, the best way to deal with them is if you can get them to agree that you'll meet and deal with one matter at a time. And what I mean by that, let's deal with the deity of Christ. Let's go through the Bible and see what's the biblical basis for the deity of Christ. Um, let's talk about hell. Let's see what's the biblical basis for hell. You need to spend some time showing them what the Bible teaches because the moment you raise something, they're going to spin off. But you've got to get that kind of agreement that you can actually... And I don't know how else you're going to deal with them because they always end up in arguing. And the other thing, the easiest way to get rid of a Jehovah's Witness is to tell him, let us pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. He will disappear. <laughs> totally disappear. Because he, he, he doesn't believe in any Holy Spirit. So if you want to, to get rid of him, just say, I want to do it. Yeah, we're going to meet here. We're going to talk. But just before we talk, let's have a word of prayer. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us and to guide us. Believe you me, he's ready to go. Okay? Because there's no Holy Spirit as far as he's concerned. And again, let's deal with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Deal with those areas that they have deviated from biblical truth, but you must have a common agreement that we'll deal with it systematically one at a time and not try to cover too much material because you're not going to get in the way with the Jehovah's But remember this. Our responsibility is to reach men. And uh, you want to win them for Christ. They need Christ just like anybody else, and we need to have the patience with them uh, to try to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. So do what you can. Uh, there are some times when you have to tell them, by the way, I don't have an answer, but let me check that out and I'll get back to you. Don't be embarrassed that you don't have an answer and you uh, uh, you don't want your, your ego is so large that you're trying to find an answer, but you don't have it immediately. Just say to them, listen, uh, you, you, uh, this is one area I'd like to check, I'd like us to discuss next time, and let me get some light on this matter uh, so that next time we meet, I'll provide an answer. Pastor, as the pastor of Grace Baptist Church, on Sunday morning, as you are worshiping God, the one true God, are you worshiping the same God that the Jehovah's Witness, or maybe I should say it this way, are the JWs worshiping the same God that we worship at Grace Baptist Church? If you uh, accept the biblical teaching and the Orthodox Christian faith teaching that there is a trinity, that there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, these are three persons, one nature. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses make the mistake because they they can't figure out what we mean by that. Uh, they, 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 they don't understand that um, the nature of God in terms of three persons, one nature. They think we're creating three different gods. That's the whole issue with them. This is why they've had to come up with the concept that Christ is a created being. The answer to that question is very simple. The God that they worship is not the same God that we worship. We worship a triune God. They do not. And 
things that differ are not the same. Be sure that you join us again next week here on That's Truth. We're going to be continuing this discussion on cults. And we'll be jumping right in at the beginning of that uh, discussion, talking about the Jehovah's Witness movement and discussing in depth the history of the movement, who started it, what his credentials were, and then going through to the current day, what the Jehovah's Witness uh, believe. And for those of you who didn't have your questions answered completely, we will get to them next week. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.